I grew up in West Virginia during World War II. Life was really hard for coal mining families, and we had a large family of nine children. My dad had many small jobs. He worked at the chemical plant in Charleston for a while, but he quit that job to go back to mining coal. Getting enough food to eat was a constant work effort for everyone in the family. We had a cow, pigs, chickens, and a garden. Everyone worked to take care of the animals in the garden, but there never seemed to be enough food to keep us from being hungry all of the time. Coal mining was a dangerous job, but the coal companies paid workers very little in those days. We did not have much money for anything other than the barest of necessities. Anytime we got sick, we just tried to live through it. We lived about three miles from town, and there was a one-room schoolhouse near our home in the mountainous terrain along the Appalachian Trail. We lived deep in the steep, wooded inclines of those smoky mountains, and we did not have a teacher for our school. There was no easy way to travel into town to attend the school that did have a teacher. We were mostly barefoot while growing up because shoes cost money we did not have. While I had to wait until I was old enough to attend school, I had constantly hoped to learn how to read and write. I really wanted to learn how to paint, and I was sure that someone there could teach me. I was always anxious about being able to go to school when the time of year came for school to start. Finally, I was old enough to go with my brothers and sisters to the little one-room schoolhouse nestled in the backwoods of West Virginia. Unfortunately, there was no teacher at the school on my first day. We did not know when the teacher would be there, and I went there every day anyway, hoping that there would be a teacher. After those many days of walking to the school only to go back home again because there was no teacher, we finally got a teacher. With all of my kin and some kids from other coal miner families packed into the one-room schoolhouse, the teacher's job was probably one of the hardest in all of America. We were a rowdy bunch of uncouth and uncivilized hillbillies, but I tried hard to learn how to read and write. I never gave up trying to learn something every day, but it seemed hopeless at times. One day I asked my teacher if she could teach me how to paint. She told me that she could give an art class. I was so extremely happy, and I imagined that I would finally be creating some beautiful pictures with lots of color. On the day of our first art class, the teacher gave us a pencil and a blank sheet of paper. She told us to draw something. While there were not any colors the way I had imagined my first art class being, I drew a rose on my paper with the pencil. The teacher held up my drawing for everyone else to see because she thought it was so good. Next, I drew a figure and she was elated. I thought that I was well on my way to learning art. When we got home from school that day, my brothers told our mom that I could draw. Mom was not impressed by my picture. Life was hard for a mother of nine children living in the mountains of West Virginia in the 1940s. Drawing pictures did not feed hungry mouths or put shoes on our feet, and there were many endlessly repetitive chores needing to be done that could at least put food on the table. Shoes would always be scarce for all of us.
It was not very long after my first art class that we lost our teacher. The effort it took for her to go up into the mountains to teach at our little schoolhouse was too hard on her. The truth is that the job teaching at that little hillbilly school might have been hard for anyone because the boys were always being difficult. It was most definitely strenuous for anyone to travel every day from town up into the mountains. Knowing that there were several sweet little girls and a bunch of rowdy boys crammed into that one-room school probably made the trip from town up into those mountains even more miserable. The local school authorities had to find another teacher and this person needed to be someone who could handle the rigors of the job. After a few weeks of going to school to pretty much do as we pleased or trying to teach ourselves, we learned that there was going to be a new teacher, a male teacher. He would be there the next day, but we had become a very wild bunch of undisciplined troublemakers. I was glad that we would finally have a new teacher, but I was not impressed by him at all when he got there. I was sure that he was not going to teach me art, but maybe I could learn to read and write. I worked really hard on my studies, but the boys did not like the teacher because he was very mean sometimes. He needed to be strict and controlling with those ornery kids. A group of boys, led by my brother, ganged up on the teacher and threw him out of the window. I was horrified. Why would they do that to someone who tried so hard to do something for all of us that we desperately needed in our lives? The teacher ran away because the boys were many and he was only one. I went home very sad for him on that day and I thought for sure that my dad would whip my brother for what he did. I didn't know what would happen to the other boys who helped him run off the teacher. To my complete dismay, the teacher didn't come back, and it seemed that my dad only scolded my brothers. Parental support for education in the backwoods of West Virginia was sorely lacking, because many of the adults could not read or write either. Reading and writing were not going to put food on the table, shoes on our feet, or clothes on our backs. Yet the boys threw the teacher out of the window, then it was the teacher who had probably done something wrong. Our school was empty now without a teacher, and local authorities were not easily able to replace the teacher with another one. Knowing that some hellion hillbilly boys were only going to throw the teacher out of the window caused some serious adjustments in their approach to finding someone who could manage the one-room schoolhouse in the mountains of West Virginia. While the Great Depression and World War II were over everywhere else, they continued to exist in our lives where we lived far from the rest of civilization. I walked to the schoolhouse on many days when I was not busy with some chores. I looked at the classroom through the windows because the doors were locked and I could not go in there by myself. I wanted to learn, but there was not anyone there to teach me. I felt such a sense of loss and sadness for all of us and that poor man my brothers had mistreated. After a few weeks, we all went back to school again. There was a tough old lady teacher 
and my brother was afraid to do anything bad. She quickly had a meeting with my dad, and I guess my dad had laid the law down on my older brother. I do not know what was said, but something had changed him. My brother was afraid to get in trouble, and the teacher stayed for the rest of the school year. I learned a lot more from her than at any other time, but I continued to have a sincere interest in art and drawing. During the summer of that year, I got a really bad case of warts. The blemishes were on my hands and my arms. The condition was so bad that I even had warts under my fingernails. The warts constantly hurt. My sister told me to saw them off with thread. So I took a piece of thread, wrapped it around a wart, and sawed it off. I was miserable from the pain of the task, but there was nothing else that could be done. One day, I was on the front porch to our little shack of a house that was bursting at every corner with family members when my dad came home. I was sitting on the steps sawing off those warts with a string when he saw me. He asked me what I was doing. Tears flowed down my face as I showed him my hands and arms. My left hand and arm were the worst, so I had concentrated all my efforts on those areas. He went into the house and told my mom to get me ready. He was going to take me somewhere. My mom was not happy about it because she was always overworked, managing nine children. Still, she got me washed up and put clean clothes on me. It was rare that anyone got to use soap or wear clean clothes for any other reason outside of once a week. We didn't get to ride in a car very often so I was relieved to be going somewhere without having to walk the entire distance in worn-out shoes or bare feet. The entire situation was a mystery to everyone else. Nobody knew where we were going and my dad was not telling them. My brothers were quiet and Mama had told them to be quiet. Riding in a car was a very rare experience and they stayed away from me as they huddled close together to keep from touching me. I guess they were scared that I might be infectious or they just did not want to get a whipping later. We drove down the mountain along the highway until my dad turned onto a road that really wasn't a road. It was more like a path through some weeds and tall grass that was nearly completely covered by foliage and branches. It was a path to someone's home deep in the woods. My dad slowly drove down that road until he got as far as he could go. An audible bill in those days was not made to go off the road into the woods, especially when there was not much of a road to follow. In the distance from where we stopped, I could barely see a house, but the smoke coming out of its chimney assured me it was there. The old shack was hidden among the trees and I could see that its roof was covered in black tar roofing paper. It did not even have shingles. I was the only one who knew anything about the mystery of where we were going, but Dad had only told me that he was taking me to see some old man about my warts. I was really scared when I finally saw him. He was an old man with long, dirty gray hair, and his matching beard was even longer than the hair on his head. I sat in the car on the other side from where my dad was speaking to the man. 
I knew he was talking to this strange-looking man about my warts. My fearful gaze was fixed on him, and I could not look away. I didn't know what he was going to do for me about my warts. Would he cut off my warts? Would he be able to get the ones under my fingernails? They were probably the worst of all. The warts beneath my fingernails made my fingers swell, and they itched or hurt all of the time. I waited as I watched the man listen to my father and nod his head. He only looked up at the car full of kids and my mother occasionally while they spoke. After a little while, the old man came around to my side of the car and looked in at me. I was no longer afraid, as he said to me in the most gentle of voices that I have ever heard. Young lady, can I see your warts? I stuck both of my arms out of the window and raised them up for him to see. He jumped back in shock when he saw them. He never touched them. He just looked at me with a steady gaze for a while. I cannot say for sure what it was that he was doing, but his silence and look were mesmerizing. Then he said to me, Young lady, I want you to go home and begin playing with your brothers and sisters like you always have. Forget about these warts. In a few days, they will all be gone. We went home and I did just as the old man in the mountain forest told me to do. A few days later, I was running through the house playing hide and seek with my siblings and my dad stopped me. He said, Sis, let me see your warts. I smiled and said, Oh, Dad, they're all gone. I went back to playing without worrying about those warts any longer. Getting over those warts was the most memorable event in my childhood. I never forgot about that old, mysterious man who lived deep in the forest, and I always knew that God had done something for me there. I can only assume that the old mountaineer was a truly righteous man who knew the Lord, and he most likely prayed for me to be healed. Our impoverished conditions were humble beginnings, and we had always been taught to know the Lord by our elders. My grandpa was a preacher, and he would take us to church. He could preach and lead the music with or without a piano. If the preacher who was the minister or the congregational church didn't show up, my grandpa would do it all. Of course, we were the loudest singers of all because we wanted to help him by singing loud and strong. My sister Juanita was with us often and she could sing. She taught us how to sing the old songs without any hymnals. The event of going to that small church with my family and singing my heart out introduced me to God the Father, and I have always felt His guidance through the rest of my life since that time. Sometime later, my dad got a job working for another mining company in a much bigger coal mine located in Greenbrier County. Like the song says in the old 1970s television show, we loaded up the truck and moved there but we were never going to be millionaires. In our new location in Greenbrier County, we had a great school where I finally learned how to read and write, but I was always plagued by the deficits from my lack of a quality education early in my childhood. I never graduated from high school, but very few of us did. I met and married a handsome young man from Oklahoma. 
He had a good job as a pipeline x-ray technician, and I left the mountains of West Virginia for a better life elsewhere. We traveled often for his job, and we lived in many states. I always had this dream about being an artist. I called it the art spirit. I cooked creatively, and I made clothes for my children. I was always being creative in everything I did, and encouraged my children to be the same. I became very ill in my early 30s, and I had to have a serious surgery. My children were in school, and recovery from surgery was really hard. One day, a voice said to me in my thoughts, Mary, go to town, buy canvas, paint, and a couple of brushes. Come back home and paint. Anyone reading this, or listening to me, can understand how that might sound. Hearing voices? When we are in great despair and suffering, it is possible to imagine many things, and our thoughts are not always the voice of God. Initially, I just brushed it off and continued to suffer. It seemed to me that I only got worse, but the voice was still there, continuing to encourage me to go get canvas, paint, and brushes. At that time, we lived near Ravenna, Ohio, and I had been to an art supply store there in the past. I began to think about that place all of the time. One day, I got up out of bed, put my children on the bus to school, and waited for the art supply store to open. I went to town and did everything the voice told me to do. I came home and painted mushrooms. I remember them from my childhood. In the spring, Juanita would pick wild mushrooms, so I painted pictures of those mushrooms from memory. The memory for me is so vivid that I can still see them in my imagination. While some readers might want to insist that hearing a voice is a kind of mental illness, those who will say this do not know the Lord. God's Holy Spirit is with us always, and God can entreat us in our minds to do things that will help us in our lives. Painting took my mind off of the suffering I was experiencing from my illness. From that point in my life, I knew that painting could help me to heal myself so I painted as much as I could. I painted a lot from memory. I continued to paint small things, but I was unable to move forward in this art without something I did not yet have. In 1973, we moved our family to Oklahoma. I knew the move was for our spiritual growth, but I did not have the words in my mind for explaining it that way at the time. We moved with four kids, two dogs, and no job prospects. We were all excited about living in Oklahoma, and Leon found a job and a house within the first month we were there. The children loved Oklahoma, and Stillwater seemed to be thriving and growing. I tried to find a place of worship in the community that met my spiritual needs, but I never found any place where I felt the Lord was there with me. It seemed to me that the people at these churches were more concerned with the appearance of being in church than for being in church for the intended purpose of spiritual growth and worship of God. I earnestly sought the Lord during this time of my life, and I received the second birth, as described in the New Testament book of John, chapter 3. There was a strong Pentecostal movement going on in the late 1970s and early 1980s, and I got caught up in this early revival 
of spirituality based on the teachings of the second chapter of Acts. There were problems with all of what was happening among those who claimed to be ministers of those small groups of people who were struggling to know God the same as I was. While accepting God's Holy Spirit in my life and being born again in the Holy Spirit are realities for me, there were and still are many thieves and liars who use religion to take advantage of others for their own profitability. There were men who used religion as a confidence game, and there were many con artists jumping on the bandwagon of this spiritual awakening. These crooks were not limited to men who tried to set up small church congregations to build unsuspecting people out of money to build a church before running away with the cash or getting arrested for drug possession or some other crime of immorality. Many of these criminals became famous, and some were even murderers in the end. Jim Jones, David Koresh, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, Jimmy Swaggart, and many others too numerous to name are all examples of crooks who constantly fleece people by convincing them to follow their ministry and give all of their money to them so they could spread the word of God to others. They were mostly using the money to live lavish lifestyles because they believed their prosperity on earth was God's reward to them. Prosperity evangelism is a fraud. While not all of these television evangelists and self-proclaimed prophets were complete failures like the first two names on the list, they were all heretics for teaching a false ideology about Almighty God and living luxuriously on the hard-earned cash of those they fleeced. I stayed away from churches for a long time because of those bad men who falsely claimed to represent God to others when they were only interested in being rich on other people's money. We had money and savings from the sale of our house in Ohio, and we had been adding to those savings as much as we possibly could. The Lord was blessing us with decent paying jobs for my husband, and he always worked harder than any man has ever recently had a need to work. He never wanted anything for himself. We decided that we wanted to build our own home because Leon had become a journeyman carpenter and he had the requisite skills to do it. My husband had to think and pray about it really hard until he knew he could build it. In 1976, after buying some property several miles outside of Stillwater, we built a house that we still live in today. We bought enough land to build more than one additional building in the future without knowing what we were going to build. We were being guided by the Holy Spirit and we knew in our hearts that it was God who blessed us with our home and success. My husband built me an artist studio over the garage. It was a small room with a very steep stairway. I went up there one day after it was completed and I began to paint as God instructed me. I had never really received any formal instruction and what I was doing, and I was so thrilled to finally make progress in art. I did not know how to paint from being told by anyone I had ever met. I never went to school to be taught anything about painting. I just did what the Holy Spirit told me to do, and I tried to learn as I experimented with different mediums, colors, and tools of the skill. I painted my vision of the Lord as He looked to me in my mind and I painted scenic portrayals of stories I knew about from reading the scriptures in 
both Old and New Testaments. I painted what I knew about the life of Yeshua and my visions of his return to earth that will happen soon. One day I was praying and listening for God's spiritual voice to give me directions for my next painting and the Lord said to me, Mary, I want you to go get a GED and go to college. I could hardly believe it. How could I do that? I'm 40 years old and God wants me to go to college? Well, I had a friend in town and she needed to get a GED too. She did not have a car so the Holy Spirit told me to take her with me. We both got a GED and she went back home to California for a while. I started taking classes at Oklahoma State University as a first-year freshman. I was 42 years old and it was January of 1982. My son-in-law was very familiar with OSU, its enrollment process, and the campus because he graduated from there. He took me to the enrollment offices on the OSU campus and told me they would help me enroll. I enrolled in two classes and began my journey in life as a college student. A once scared little girl who worried about her warts and barely got any education in the boondocks of the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia was going to attend freshman classes at one of the two largest universities in the state of Oklahoma at the age of 42. I was scared and nervous. Please God help me, I prayed as I went to school again every day. The first thing that I struggled to deal with was my early childhood educational deficits. Getting a GED does not fulfill a person's entire educational needs. A GED certificate is proof that you know how to read, write, and do some mathematics, but it does not guarantee that you know what is necessary to be successful as a student attending a major university. I bought books about everything that had nothing to do with my coursework, and I tried to learn as much as I could about the things I did not know. I was intending my own version of early education as rapidly as possible while simultaneously attending classes and learning the much more difficult to know information in my college level courses. Surprisingly, I was the best student in my speech class, and I really liked speaking in front of other people. I took all of the speech courses I could electively take, and I went on to major in religion and psychology. In those early days of my university years, I thought I would go to Africa to be a healer and minister to those poor people there. I felt that it was the Lord instructing me to get my degree for this purpose, but when I finished my undergraduate coursework, the Lord told me to get a Master's of Science in Marriage and Family Counseling. In the spring of 1989, I graduated from Oklahoma State University with a Master's of Science in Marriage and Family Counseling. I began my career by opening a counseling center located in a small room above some retail stores in downtown Stillwater. I was sitting on the couch in my office one day praying and asking the Lord, Why am I here? I thought you wanted me to be a missionary in Africa. The Holy Spirit told me, No, I need you to learn how to love the good, the bad, and the ugly. In the course of conducting my practice as a counselor, I used artistic expression as a therapy for healing children and adults who suffered from bad and ugly experiences in their lives. I spoke to and prayed for God to give me instructions on building a place for the artwork I was accumulating and to further my career as a counselor. 
He said to me, if you build it now, I will use it later for this artwork. I could never get a very strong feeling of confidence that this was God's instruction to me to build this building. However, one day in early 2000, I had a clear message to build the building now. Explaining that feeling is not entirely possible, but the cost of building the structure today would be at least three times more than it was at that time. We built the Gates Biblical Art Museum, completing construction in 2017, and I put all of my paintings into it. My goal all along for building this gallery has been to help people better understand that our Father in Heaven is always with us, everywhere on earth. God is as near to us in our lives as our next breath, and that Jesus, the Messiah, will return for us very soon. In all of my work and visions of what God has shown me to paint, I know that there will be a great upheaval on the earth itself. God has allowed me to know that the earth will not be entirely destroyed, but it will be drastically changed. The Anointed One, Jesus, will be in charge of the changes that will occur, because He is God's Chosen One. The Godhead who will sit at the Father's right hand and decree God's justice for all the inhabitants of the earth on Judgment Day. The earth, those who survive the terrible events to come, and all of what remains upon this planet will be changed. The path all people need to follow is to be spiritual, not religious. Knowing God is the Holy Spirit is not the same as being religious because anyone can go to a church, synagogue, temple, or mosque and claim to be religious or devout something or others. Only those who truly believe in Almighty God can claim to be spiritual in their faith and walk with the Lord. We must all change to being spiritually oriented in our faith because being religious is not the same thing. Religious people are simply repeating meaningless pagan rituals that have nothing to do with the acceptance of God's eternal truth and Holy Spirit. Finally, I want to tell about an event that happened when I was about nine years old. Although this seems a bit out of sequence for the story overall, telling this story is important at this point. It was my ninth birthday, and I really had a strong desire to paint. I was so sure that I wanted this more than anything else that I asked my mom to buy me this little art set that I had seen at the store for my birthday. I had described the painting set to her perfectly, and I even told her that I would take care of my younger brothers and clean the house really good. However, she looked at it and decided not to get it because she didn't want to spend the money on it. I was pretty sure my dad told her that I would never learn to paint and buying the painting set would be a waste of money. He was like that because everything he earned was stretched to the thinnest dime, taking care of all nine children. And extravagance for just one child was a waste of money. I was disappointed, but I never gave up on my dream. When I started to paint while living in Ohio and being married with children of my own, my dad was really upset with me that I was painting and wasting time and money on my dream to become an artist. However, when he saw the paintings I had done, he was impressed with them and he said I could probably use them to teach people.
I added the telling of this memory to my story for the purpose of illustrating the struggles and obstacles I had to overcome to be an artist. I hope it inspires others to never give up on their dreams. Telling all of this story has not been intended to present a criticism of my family, mom, or dad, but I am telling about these experiences to help readers and listeners understand the difficulties we went through as a large family trying to survive in the impoverished remoteness of a post-war era in West Virginia. I have not thought of referring to myself as an artist, but I prefer to say that I am a painter. Anyone can express themselves artistically in a variety of ways, but it takes something very uniquely different to be a painter. When we were living in Ohio, I told my husband I wanted to paint as he sat across from me. He was always so tired from working hard at his job all of the time. He looked up at me and said, Go get what you need. He never refused me or discouraged me from doing anything that I wanted to do in my life to be who I am today. This event happened in the late 1960s and none of what became of that has ever changed. Now, at my age of 84, I continue to paint for the future of my children and grandchildren who have come to know the truth of what my vision has been in my life because it is a reality they see whenever they come to visit me. There is a ministry within all of the work I have done in my life to create these paintings and I know I cannot leave this earth until this ministry is done. I might not have become a missionary in Africa, but God gave me another mission in my life. My paintings will tell a testimony for Yeshua because he has always been by my side in God's Holy Spirit. This testimony will be the completion of God's tasking for me in my life because this testimony in art will tell the truth about the Messiah that nobody else has been willing to tell.